Hi, this is Steve Packard, a volunteer steward in the Forest Preserves. You're listening to Q4 Radio Chicago, 1680 AM, and at Q4.org. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Hi, I'm Jerry Goodspeed. I'm here at the Utah State University Extension Education Building at the Ogden Botanical Garden. And today I'm here to talk about a problem that we're seeing, an invasive species that is moving into our area and becoming more and more of a problem to homeowners and to landscapes. And that problem is the garden gnome. Now the gnome, we believe, was introduced into our area from England. They're very attractive at first, a um, little bit of a cheery smile, if you will, but over time they become very invasive into the garden. Uh, you'll find them creeping up or showing up in the herb garden, next thing in the vegetable garden, and pretty soon in the annuals and the perennials. And once established, they're very difficult to control. Here in the garden in mid-February, and in Ogden we're about a zone 5, a zone 4, and you can already see their cheery little red hats starting to poke through the ground. Now this is very typical of our area. Here we've got an overwintering gnome. This is very typical. They are very hardy. Normally to overwinter they will seek a, a hiding place, some place that gives them a little bit of protection from the weather. And you can see that this gnome is chosen behind this rock. Last fall it went undetected and unnoticed. It was able to overwinter and you can see that now it's becoming quite large gnome and quite a nuisance, quite a problem. If left unchecked they can outcompete other lawn ornaments and other parts of the landscape. Here we see a gnome that has taken up residency in a pagoda. This particular gnome overwintered in this pagoda and if left unchecked it can destroy this particular lawn ornament. From the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. the word green he merely rents it for a small fee here he is mike novak mike one check mike two check mike two you're mike three. Oh, that's why peggy three. three check i think we'd just sit here and listen to this music <laughs> we may do this all the way through you're kind of getting into it it's great. This is my favorite holiday carol of all time. I mean, nothing says joy to the world like the klezmonauts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and this is what you're going to get now for the next few weeks on the Mike Novak Show. I've trotted out the Christmas music. We'll put the regular intro back in next week so we can go nah. one more no. time. No? No, come on. we got to enjoy the season. Tis the season, as they say, to be something. 
Okay. We got a great show today. Looking forward to it. Lots of cool guests on the show. Some of them right here in studio. Peggy Malecki from Natural Awakenings Magazine is sitting next to me. Bouncing to the Klezmer. This is why we do it, to get the energy up. And everybody who's having a cup of coffee right now (laughs) thinks it's the coffee, but it's not. Here we go. Big finish. Ah, that's the spirit. <laughs> give me a Christmas ding there. All right. Now give me, an, give me an Xmas ding. All right. For, wait, that was terrible. Do that. There we go. I think All it's right. broken. No. It's bent. <laughs> Somebody said, get bent, and that's what happened. Okay. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show. Yeah, after Thanksgiving. This is when uh, all this stuff starts, and uh, you're going to be subjected to uh, some of it today. Uh, and why not? Uh, why not? Why well, you not? Know, it let, helps let, get let, into the spirit. I, I, I want to tease people with something here uh, that they might hear later in the show. Oh, it'd be nice if I actually had the fader up. That wouldn't that be great? That would, no, that would be too good. <laughs> See, I always bring faders down because I know some unexpected audio is going to pop up somewhere or another. But I, what I meant to play was... Real butter. Okay, that's what we get. That's just a tease. If you're wondering what that uh, is uh, all about, uh, well, you'll, you'll just have to listen, won't you? Because later on, identify this phrase... Real butter. And uh, you will win valuable Wally prizes. Ooh. Or not. <laughs> if I'm telling the truth, you know, because as it turns out, in post-truth America, we don't have to tell the truth ever for anything. Anything at all. And how would we Isn't even that, know if it's the truth? You wouldn't even know. No. Certainly none of our candidates uh, have any idea of what truth is. or So we just that's the way we roll now in America. Um on the program today, we're going to start, and I hope you went to my blog, I hope you went to my Facebook page, Twitter, the Twitter folks, and did we post anything on Instagram? No. Probably not. No. But you can post on Instagram, but you got to have a photo. See, it's always, that's the problem. They, they have rules. Uh, not really strict rules, but they just have rules. Uh, the good, the bad, now I haven't no. I don't really don't know what to call it anymore. The good, the bad. Used to be the good, the bad, and the ugly of holiday gift giving, hort holiday gift giving. Now I've kind of changed it to the good, the bad, and the weird, and you've added, and the ugly <laughs> of what I call green giving, which can mean horticulture, which can mean um, environmental stuff, which can mean health. Or in the case of the ugly, it'll just make you green. It, yes. Or your pets. There's a lot, you know, a lot of the goofy stuff is for the pets, mm-hmm. all right, because, of course, they demand it of you, <laughs> so you have to run out and get it. Uh, Michelle Byrne Walsh uh, from Chicagoland Gardening Magazine and State by State Gardening is back with us today. She was here with us a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, we used to do this regularly um, at Gargantua Radio down the dial, and uh, we're reviving this bit. And I have some words for her in a second. She's standing by on the Skype, and we will be with her in just a second. Uh, at 9.35, Scott Stewart, and I'm very excited about that. He's the director of the Lurie Garden in Millennium Park. Um, and uh, I uh, saw him speak 
recently, I was at a meeting there, and he was one of the gracious hosts because it was down at Millennium Park. And I was going to write this, and I forgot to write this. It wasn't actually in the – it was in the park, but it was in the rehearsal room, the 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 orchestra rehearsal room at uh, the Geary Shell there, the Geary Pavilion, mm-hmm. whatever they call it. I, I don't have the you – know, I'll get it wrong. Whatever it is, I'll get it wrong. Uh, but Geary <laughs> designed it, all right? And, and so we were back in the bowels of the place uh, having this meeting, and he came to speak, and he blew me away. Um, now, you know, I, I, I have talked about the Lurie Garden many times on the program, and if you haven't been there, you need to go. And you're, you're going to say, what? It's winter. Why should I go? Well, he's going to explain why. Why now is a really, really good time to show up at the Lurie Garden in Millennium Park uh, in downtown Chicago. So, uh, and, and we're going to talk a little philosophy of, of growing, of natives and non-natives, uh, plant communities, that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So that's the second uh, half hour of this first hour of the show. Then at uh, 10 o'clock, Sarah, is it Sirose or Siraz? I think it's Sirose. Sirose. I think. Okay. You're not much help, are you? You're her neighbor. You should know this. Um, not immediately. I believe it's Sarose, but we will ask her okay. when she arrives. Uh, executive director, new executive director of Conserve Lake County in Libertyville. And um, uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. This is uh, an organization that is is paying attention to our planet and trying to to keep it healthy. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way of putting it? Do you think? I mean, you you I think have you been closely involved with them or just know about them? I haven't been that closely involved. I've been to a couple of their events, and I certainly have a lot of their plants follow me home every spring. <laughs> uh, and then stare they, at Right, me. right, and stare at you until you get them <laughs> in the ground. I have plants staring at me in my backyard right now in flats going, Still? no, you can't. No, don't do this to us. So uh, maybe uh, – today or tomorrow because it's still in the yeah. 40s i mean my goodness you could still get out and plant stuff and i can see michelle burn i still have nodding yeah, over garlic, there. Yeah. garlic bulbs staring at me garlic planted bulb, that would be a good thing to get in the ground right now you could do it it's not it's not the end of the world you can do you could if you know if it's this warm after thanksgiving plant after thanksgiving go for it i mean it's better than leaving them in the flats because they're just going to die yeah. in the flats all right so and then the dead plants will be staring. Then at you. they will stare at you. And by the way, Rick DeMaio weather ten forty five as always. And let's go immediately to the nodding, not and not as in nodding off, but as in <laughs> nodding in agreement. Michelle Byrne Walsh, Michelle, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Okay, it's, it was kind of funny watching you there on the screen because she's on the the, the Skype machine, and um, you uh, you were your head was bouncing to the music. <laughs> And yeah, we were watching you. Flats, let them out. <laughs> oh, and 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 yes, and the flats. You know, uh, set your plants free. That's a that's a good advice for what the Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> set your plants free. Uh, somebody, uh, you know, I think I got a feeling that's going to go out on Twitter right now. Peggy's already <laughs> to like turn to the computer. So when back when I was at Gargantua Radio down the dial. Uh, Michelle used to come in occasionally on a Sunday when we did this, and we would do the good, the bad, and the ugly of holiday hort gift giving. And the idea of that had always been um, that uh, people would call. We would we would suggest things, and people would call in and, and tell us all about these gifts that they 
had gotten that were crazy and they didn't know what to do with and it would just be a laugh riot and we have a great time. And we would open the phone lines. I mean, this is a 50,000-watt radio station reaching 38 states and parts of Canada. And all we would hear was crickets. Cheep, 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 cheep. Do you do cricket? Do you do a cricket? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, and I and I couldn't figure it out. I always thought this is this is the fun one. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know that you got a, a, a stupid gift at some point. It's you didn't sitting know sitting in do. your basement right now, right, Michelle? I, do you have any idea why why folks didn't respond to that? I I don't. I do actually. It's that same thing with the regifting. You don't want to regift the gift that your sister in law gave you back to your sister in law. So they're afraid to mention it at all. I, I think so. If your husband <laughs> or wife gave you the most horrific thing, yeah, but, you just smile and nod and say thank you. But what if it happened 30 years ago? Well, you hope he has a bad memory if you want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I just, I, I, I never, well, I always associated it with when I started doing garden talk on the radio many, many years ago with Kathy O'Malley, uh, and she and I s- sat down behind the mic and we were novice gardeners, and uh, we 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 thought, you know what? We'll start a conversation. It'll be like hanging over the back fence, and we'll all just talk about our plants. And we found out in about, oh, I don't know, 90 seconds, that all people who listen to gardening radio want our answers. They don't want to talk about their plants. They're not interested in that. They just want the answer. I got slugs. What do I do? And it's, and it's that clear cut. Mm-hmm. And you're the guru, and you're supposed to know everything uh end of story give me the answer or i won't call <laughs> and i thought oh 100 words or less it, right. it, exactly and you know that because you're you write for several like four magazines right now um yeah. uh, what what are the four again that you're the editor of indiana gardening missouri gardener ohio gardener and pennsylvania gardener and they're all state-by-state state gardening magazines aha uh-huh. so you get that stuff all the time, I'm sure. And when you do garden talks, it's it's nobody's interested in in discussing things and sharing experiences. No, they want answers. That's it. Yeah, pure and simple. Yeah, give, give I, me my answers. I find the same thing. I I've even put in the magazine. You tell us this. We're going to publish it. Crickets. Mm-hmm. Hello. Mm-hmm. Anybody reading? <laughs> so so there we are. What, now having established the ground rules, we decided to do this anyway, come back and do mm-hmm. this. But this time we're armed with everything ourselves because we posted this yesterday and I said, hey, send us your, your, your goofy gifts and so forth. And I've gotten a lot of likes on, on the post uh, on Facebook. We put it on Twitter. We've gotten likes. We've gotten responses. We've, people share it. Not a single response. Not a single person who's actually naming anything they ever so the pattern continues all these years later isn't that wonderful and before we start naming twitter people by name Uh we we should hear from a few of them hint hint that's right there's some of our regulars i'd be surprised if uh, we didn't hear from some of our regulars but then i wouldn't be surprised at anything (laughs) uh so uh you were nodding there michelle let's uh let's uh, get it's off and rolling with some of the good, okay? Uh, we'll go through the categories. We'll save the fun stuff for later, which is the weird 
the weird is always the most fun. But mm-hmm. the good is also fun because sometimes we can give people mm-hmm. ideas about what they can give their friends. All right. And, 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 and needless, to st- needless to say, a good place to start is a subscription to a gardening magazine like Chicagoland Gardening. Uh, give me a ding on that because that was a, a blatant plug. Uh, or one of the four magazines that Michelle is editor of, if you're in that area, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Missouri, or what was the other one? Indiana? No. Indiana. 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 <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, we do have a Wisconsin one, too, for people up in Wisconsin. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you folks in Wisconsin, too. You know, well, yeah. no, I'm saying State by State Gardening is 21 magazines, all right, in yeah, all right. over the south and the Midwest. So, And, and we actually did hear, speaking of Wisconsin, from the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. He's our first Twitter. Oh, yay. Yay. But he says, if gift givers would just listen to who they're giving the gift to, it would save time, space, and friendships. <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. You just... <laughs> You just buy random stuff and you go, well, oh, I haven't given this Here. one out yet. Here. I, oh, I know who could get this one. But thanks, guys. Yeah, but thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So let's start with you, Michelle. What do you like? What's 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 a good gift to give somebody for, for the uh, season? Well, this last summer, our master gardeners had had their garden tour, you know, the garden walk. And as I was talking with the woman who, who was on our tour, she couldn't say enough about what her friend had done for her. And that was while she was getting ready for the garden walk, the friend had taken a ton of photographs. And so then just for her birthday, that friend put together a scrapbook for her. I mean, a really well thought, you know, put together and thought out scrapbook. And wow. she was just in tears telling me this story. <laughs> so I thought, that's the ultimate. Those were know? the worst photos on my <laughs> garden I had ever seen. <laughs> I have slugs in the hospital and you photographed it. That's right. <laughs> Look at those cucumber beetles. Uh, exactly. But you know what? You're out of the gate with a creative one. Come on. Nobody wants to be creative at Christmas. But that's that's actually, you know, if you really like somebody, that's a cool thing. Yeah. And and I personally am not a scrapbook kind of person. I could barely write my name on a piece of paper. But I've also <laughs> in the past gone to like snapfish.com or walgreens.com and all you need to do is upload your photos and they have templates and you can create calendars wall calendars so the problem out looking really nice and you don't have to have too much skill the problem right now for doing that for somebody is you could run out there and take uh photos of their december i'm sorry november 26th garden and then make a calendar for the end of the year i'm not sure that that's going to go over so well however if you're thinking ahead, next year, as the seasons go by, take sneak into your friend's garden. Try not to trample the hostas and the... the uh, trip on the gnomes. Trip on the gnomes. Um, and uh, take photos, and then you're all set for next year's gift. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. And you say that uh, Snapfish is the name of the... Uh, is that a... Uh, oh, what is... Is that an app, or is that just something at Walgreens, uh, their program? No, Walgreens has its own photo program, and oh, that's okay. the one I've used most often. But All there's right. another one called Snapfish that's online that a lot of my friends have used, and they think is a good site. It's it's a a pay site. You know, you mm-hmm. you go in, you establish a, an account, you lo- upload your photos, and then you pay for the calendar, and they ship it. Okay. All right. Give me another one. Good one. 
Well, the University of Illinois Extension, uh, which is the uh, overseer for the master gardeners, has this new thing that they're calling pollinator pockets. And what that is is that it's you, like a pita pocket, except uh, you you <laughs> don't eat it. Yeah, no, don't eat the butterflies. <laughs> well, you said something about real butters. That may be the deal. <laughs> Where's uh, that rim shot? Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's just do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but a, no, but the pollinator pockets are <laughs> getting back to. I, I know you're. See, you're, Michelle, we can see you too. Yeah, we're. Yeah, we're you're just waiting for this. Real butter. There you go. That's okay. it. And I've still got a hangover from Thanksgiving. You know, <laughs> all I've been living on is is rolls and leftover wine. Oh. Yikes! <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but back to the pollinator pockets. So you can, what you could do is you can go online or, or um, download the form so your friend can go online. But there's a list that they go through that they have you check off to see what sort of garden plants you have that are pollinator friendly. And as you go through the list, it's, it's sort of a worksheet, and you start to realize or, or perhaps realize you need to plant more. But it shows you the plants that are the highest value to pollinators. And so when you're finished with this list, you can actually register your garden as a pollinator pocket. And you can also then get an aluminum sign to put out in front of on the gate or in front of the yard and such. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Uh, Peggy, you had some too. So uh, why don't you give me a couple here? Well, I think a couple of the ones that uh, speak to what we say every week is reusable coffee mugs. And reusable water bottles. Here, here. Here, here. I got mine right here. Yep. So we don't have to tell you where to go find reusable coffee mugs. They're pretty much everywhere. But I usually suggest to people look for the stainless steel ones and don't put them in the dishwasher. I'll tell you something. This one is a stainless steel on the inside. It's got some plastic Mm -hmm. on the outside. That coffee stays hot forever. I mean, hours later, it's still Mm -hmm. hot. It's unbelievable. They, they're they very efficient. Yeah. And uh, one that we did put up on the blog this week is a reusable water bottle from a company called Earthlust. See, that's, I, just like, I just like the name. Earth Earthlust. Earthlust. And it's a California company. Of course. But it's a B Corp, um, which means it's triple bottom line, people, profits, and planets. And it's certified. And they are a small company. That produces, quote, ethically produced, non-toxic, and BPA-free stainless steel water bottles. Cool. And we got others up there. Uh, you, you, I'm not sure. I think it's you, Peggy. You did the, uh, well, Fair Trade, obviously, mm-hmm. is a good place to go. Uh, bags, accessories, and gifts uh, from Feed. Feed is a, F-E-E-D, is a company that works with various groups around the world, uh, to help relieve hunger, uh, mother-child nutrition, and give school lunches. So a portion of every purchase of their bags goes towards helping hunger. Now, the only problem I have with that is designer tote bags make me itch. Okay? They're not really designer. There's a lot of grocery totes. Yeah, okay. But, okay, so there's a different, but they're still like, you know, and I understand the money goes to a good mm-hmm. cause. Uh, the idea of paying 80 bucks for a tote bag to me is, seems a little, many of them are about 30. Oh, well, that makes it all better when you can get one for a buck. And it gives 
it, and that, but the point is yeah. where it's the money yeah. is going. Okay, yeah. so, so you're I, I get you're donating you're donating money instead of just going and buying your whatever bag. You're it's just my job being a curmudgeon mm-hmm. here. Okay, this is this is my role in life. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned fair trade. Um, Tuesday is fair trade Tuesday, so it's a a great day to do that shopping at places like Mata Traders and Greenheart and some of the other uh, Chicago fair trade companies. Yeah, uh, you got one to add in here. One more good one, uh, Michelle. Michelle Byrne Walsh, by the way, editor of uh, from State by State Gardening. Uh, yeah, I was going to get to those. I'm going to let Michelle do one more, and then I will announce those. Well, you know, I, at first I thought you could give a gift certificate of your time. You know, if if you've mm-hmm. got someone who's maybe um, less physically able to weed, give them a gift certificate or a series of gift certificates, mm-hmm. like a coupon book of garden work i'll come to your garden i'll weed i'll i'll perhaps plant a theme garden for you you know if if they're into you know what what have you butterflies let's say they'll have you could have all cultivars of things named butterflies and that truly does exist but uh you had mentioned perhaps maybe amaryllis so you could do an indoor garden for them as well a small little bulb dish i think like amaryllis are they're like any bulb they're magic and for mm. people who don't grow things regularly and you give them an amaryllis bulb and you say put it in this water and, and you give them one of those carafts that it make it foolproof and you just say water the sucker <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and then it turns into this, these leaves and then this stalk and this thing blooms. If that doesn't get people sucked into gardening, I don't know what will. <laughs> um, uh, so I had mentioned that. Uh, I added that to the list. But you had had something about rose garden. Well, just again, that idea of the gift certificate, if you can come up with some sort of design or some sort of thing that your recipient would like, you know, promise to give that to them. There's all kinds of things. I've I've heard of salsa gardens where you plant tomatoes and cilantro and onions so they can grow their own salsa or pizza gardens which with similar ingredients. So you could do whatever your person really likes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and two things I want to add at the very end here. Uh, we're going to skip the uh, the compact and dishwater safe home fermenting kit for the moment. Was that yours, Peggy? Mm-hmm. Okay, I figured it was. Uh, but I want to do a couple of shameless plugs for a couple of sponsors here because they're great gifts. Uh, I, I got an email the other day from Nick Fuller at uh, Natural Communities Native Plants. Thank you. <laughs> Did you miss? Yes. <laughs> you, you missed. I'm using my left hand. That's okay. Oh, missed. you're not as coordinated with you. Oh, you're a righty. Okay. Uh, and uh, Natural Communities Native Plants, uh, he says that between Black Friday and December 31st, and by the way, they, they are a wonderful sponsor of the Mike Novak Show, and that's why I mention them. Uh, between Black Friday and December 31st, um, he is, uh, uh, he, the, at any sales you get of uh, native plants, will uh, give a, they'll give 5% of sales to the Sierra Club Illinois chapter, which is very, very cool. And I think that's pre-orders for spring. Oh, yeah, you're not going to plant them now, yes. unless you're like me and you have native plants sitting in your backyard staring at you from flats and wondering when they're going to get in the ground. Uh, and then the other is something else that uh, you've heard on this show, and that is the V2 Grow Light from Happy Leaf LED. Thank you. Uh, it will provide you with fresh greens all winter long. It's a brand new proprietary light uh it's uh, already been awarded the direct gardening association 2017 green thumb award are you familiar with this michelle 
No. Oh, it's very cool. I got to show. I'll send you some information. Uh, do we have the? Do you have an ad there in we Natural ha- Awakenings? We have the Happy Leaf ad. Yes. In, in Natural Awakenings in the de- December issue, which has just come out. Oh, there's one the, Happy Leaf ad. There's a Happy Ooh. Leaf ad. Uh, yeah, they. Uh, I went over to uh, to see them uh, in Oregon, Illinois, uh, and uh, I know the folks who who make the light, and they were growing a pineapple indoors. Uh, under this light, I know <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Wow. They had this Malabar spin- spinach plant that was at least three feet tall and lush as anything I've ever seen in my life indoors. And I'm just like, okay, maybe we, you know, we need to try that. We have to try that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you go to happyleafled.com for that, and for uh, natural communities, you go to naturalcommunities.net. All right, and so those are the two shameless plugs for uh, sponsors of the Mike Novak Show. Okay, let's go to some bad here. Um, let's start with you, Michelle, because at the top of your list is something you heard at the top of this show, which is gnomes. Gnomes. They are an invasive species. You're yes, right. they are. <laughs> Absolutely. I have one lounging in the pack of Sandra that I just can't get out of there. <laughs> You know, Christmas is forgiving, and I've actually started doing this. If I find a gnome or something like at a garage sale or a resale shop, so it's you know not too costly, I've been buying them and putting in my neighbor's yard. <laughs> Do and they know you're doing like, this? Yeah, I just I buy the gnome, and she already had like two or three, and so I just put them next to her existing ones. <laughs> now and there's 146 really like of them <laughs> in there. Yeah. Uh, they're like rabbits. Yeah, exactly. They're just invasive. That's what happens to them. Um, well, I believe you put obscene gnomes up here. Yeah, that's one of the ugly gifts. There's a gnome from Design Toscano, which is a company out of Elk Grove here. It's um, uh, mm-hmm. online. And he's called Looney Mooney Bear Buttock Gnome. Womp womp. And he's actually mooning people. Nice. Pulling his little breeches down. Nice. Yeah. You could put nice. that in your alley for the guys who drop the sofas off. Uh, yeah, I suppose you could. Put it on top of your garbage container when they come by. Uh, so some of the and by the way, all of this stuff is listed at MikeNovak.net. Go to this week's show, uh, in, uh, which is the blog, and and we've got links, we got prices, we got all kinds of stuff. Uh, what's a stinky the garden gnome? I'm afraid to ask what that is. Do you have any idea, Michelle? Yeah, he's he's kind of squatting into the leaves. No, <laughs> no. he's a little no. bit smaller, which is no. Stinky the garden. No. Okay. All right. Let's move All on right. from uh, one of the the the, uh, the cool things. Bad. You said bad in a good way. Is the hori hori garden knife? Uh, would you? My, what? Yes. My favorite tool ever. It's a great tool. I've got one, mm-hmm. I, and I've had it for years. I lose it occasionally, and then I find it, and then I realize what a great tool it is. And I, because you can dig with it, you can cut with it. Um, you can pry with it. It's you know you can you can you can uh, weed with it. It it's mm-hmm. just uh, the you could kill somebody with it. It it would it'd be a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, you know write a garden murder mystery and use the hori hori knife. <laughs> I'm getting ideas. Well, and also digging <laughs> carrots. It's the only thing that'll dig up carrots without breaking them off. Really, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful little thing. It's uh, and you can get them pretty much anywhere now. It used to be a little rarer, a little harder to get now. It's become uh, a tool that everybody knows about, except the people who don't have it. 
They're also called soil knives. Some people, I mean, sometimes they don't call them hori hori. Yeah. They're called soil yeah. knives, like on AM Leonard and some of the other websites. Yeah. Uh, I noticed you also had uh, Attack of the Killer Asparagus under the bad. Uh, In a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some guy I know wrote that book. And yes, if you want to order it, you can go to aroundtheblockpress.com. Uh, we are uh, starting to run out of time. Yeah, so let's, let's get to the really, really ugly. Uh, well, but they're mostly in, there's a theme to the really, really ugly. Although I will start by saying that anything with the name Chia in front of it is a really, <laughs> really ugly holiday gift. I don't even consider it green. Um, but it's supposed, it turns green, I guess, uh, it, unless you buy the Donald Trump version, I hope it comes out orange. I'm not sure that they've figured that out yet. But anything with the Chia, I, I'm, I'm amazed that Chia is still around after decades. I can remember as a kid seeing these things advertised on TV. Michelle? But they cha- they change the molds all the time. So like you said, so I think what? there might be the presidential ones. Last True story, last year I bought my husband the Chia Zombie. Now that he's actually zo- that might be interesting. Coming out of the ground, and you, he, did he, he actually grow it? Him. Yeah, he grew it twice. Actually, there's enough seeds in the pack to do it a couple times. My goodness. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I still think that that's truly, truly ugly. The Cha-cha-chia. whole chachia. Chachachia. Uh, uh, see, and that's and their <laughs> stupid theme. Everybody's singing it. All right. Um, who uh, who came up with the Donald Trump garden gnome? I found him. Oh, dear. He was on Amazon. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, uh, there, you know, I don't know. Do we need to say anything more about that? Who came up with the scratching post? That was pitched to me in my inbox. Oh, my gosh. So it's a Donald Trump cat scratching post. Yes. <laughs> okay. And if you if if you would prefer another politician, they also have Hillary Clinton, Obama, Netanyahu, and Putin. Well, don't Putin and uh, Donald come together in bed? Isn't that how that works? That scratching with the post? gnomes, yes, with the gnomes. I don't know. So, so, so as I thought, if you put the Trump yard gnome together with the Trump cat scratching post, both dog and cat can get their revenge. Uh, and uh, I was just wondering if anybody had vented uh, Donald Trump kitty litter yet. I would uh, use it. I would. I would make sure my. Nah, I wouldn't want my cat anywhere near that. Uh, and uh, uh, now one I put on there and, and people. Yeah, yeah, and I'm wondering why that one's on there. I put, and you probably disagree with me too, Michelle, but that's me, uh, gardening clogs. I just think those are the dumbest things ever, and, uh, and they're always on somebody's gardening list of cool ideas. Um, I, and- I think it depends what kind you have. It, I, it does I've, definitely depend what kind you have because there's some cheap ones that don't help very much and there's some nice molded ones. But I got to admit, I'm a, I'm a junkie. I've got like six pair. No! Yeah, and I've, I've got the bogs, which are great for anything from walking the dog to digging in the garden. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm in the minority here. One other. Guess what's showing up in your stocking? No, year? no, please, please. No garden plugs. <laughs> They, well, because, that might be a difference between men and women, though. I don't know yeah. that I'd want to see my husband wearing my flowered clogs. Right. And, well, mine and, are just purple, so. And tennis shoes work just fine. Gym shoes are perfectly acceptable garden. <laughs> you know, so you wear the old ones if, you're, if you know you're going to get them dirty, and that's what you do. And then 
you throw those away or recycle them or whatever you're going to do with them. Uh, one thing that I, I, I had up actually in the bad, not under the ugly, uh, and I even have the photo of it because I got pitched on this, was the Leaf Pro Cyclist Rain Protection Kit, which is a little weird. That's why, it's, that's why this is one of the weird ones. Um, and it is, uh, it's, it's this little kit, and you, it, this, this rain uh, shield pops up, and you attach it to your bicycle, and it's supposed to protect you from the rain, but it, <laughs> I, they, I, I went to their crowdsourcing, crowdfunding site, and they were trying to raise, I don't know what they were trying to raise, but they had raised about $1,400 for yeah, it. Yeah, it was uh, like 62000 or something, you yeah, said. Yeah, and That's so... Uh, I'm not sure it was those numbers are accurate, but the 1400 was accurate, mm-hmm. and and I, and and you know it was one of those things I thought is either genius or just silly, and and yeah. I and you never know which because you could look at that and go and suddenly everybody in the world has one of those and you go why didn't I invent that? Uh, but at this point I don't have to say that because it looks like it has not taken off. Um, so what have we missed here uh, out of all of this stuff? Nothing. <laughs> Did we get any uh, We got a suggestion from Sarah Bodka, who says one of her favorite holiday gifts was a Leah Eskin cookbook. She reads her column every Sunday while listening to the show. But that's a, okay, it's a good gift. Okay, I was hoping for a weird one, but that's okay. Sarah, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Appreciate that. Um, But no weird gifts. What you could do with cookbooks, too, is that if you get one that has, like, herbs or themes or something, you could buy seed packets that would go with those Hmm. as well, so you could make it a little basket. Okay. That would work. All right. If you're, you know, crafty and that, and that sort of thing. I'm not such a crafty guy. Uh, Michelle Byrne Walsh, thank you so much. We're running late, but we'll get uh, Scott in here in a second. Thank you so much. Uh, go to uh, ChicagolandGardening.com. Go to StateByStateGardening.com. Uh, if you live in one of those states, sub- subscribe to the magazine. We're going to do this again next year, I think. Uh, it's, oh, uh, I look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> it's always great. You have a wonderful Sunday, and, I, and uh, uh, you know, drink some water to get over that hangover, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM, Q4.com. Org, uh, and uh, speaking of Chicagoland gardening, have you ever thought about grafting? No, no, no. I'm not talking about Chicago politics. Focus! This is about horticulture. The latest issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine has an article that talks about how grafting is used for edibles like grapes, tomatoes, and apples, but also for ornamental plants, often because the grafted rootstock is healthier than the original one. When it comes to trees, there are techniques like Whip and tongue graft. Don't go there. Focus. Yeah, like I should be talking. I'm the guy who writes that barely stream of consciousness column on the inside back page of every issue. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, We're talking good and goofy green holiday gifts on today's show, and one that you should definitely put in the good category is the Happy Leaf LED V2 Grow Light. Hey, not all LEDs are created equal. The Happy Leaf folks use Osram LEDs, which separates their their light from virtually all of the low-cost grow lights that are currently on the market. Here's what we mean. It's five times more powerful 
than a T5 fluorescent bulb. T5s only start seeds and minimally support some growth. But the Happy Leaf Light is an all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums that allow the full range of plant growth. If it's so good, then why is it priced at just over $100? I don't know. Why? Well, selling directly to consumers allows Happy Leaf to price this within reach of the serious gardener who has seen grow lights that cost several hundred dollars. Get it for a friend or get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. Happy Leaf LED. It's about the light. Scott Stewart from the Lurie Garden next. Stick around. Spending more time at home these days? Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Suzanne Malik McKenna for Chicago Wilderness. When you think of our region, wilderness may not be the first thing that comes to mind. Did you know this area is home to more than half a million acres of protected nature with thousands of plants and animal species? Our local native wildlife need your help. Now is the time. 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to get support for these critical species in their habitats. Sponsor one today. Meet the species at chicagowilderness.org species. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complimentary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes too, including gardening, energy efficiency and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Flavorful golden brown turkey is the crowning glory of your holiday dinner table. And real butter helps you serve a butter-baked masterpiece. Here's how to butter-bake your turkey. After stuffing the bird, pat lots of soft butter all over, especially on the drumsticks, breast, and wings. Next, cover the entire turkey with cheesecloth dipped in melted butter to protect it from shrinking in your oven. Then bake it slowly, without a lid. Never higher than 300 to 325 degrees. Every half hour, baste with butter. When it's golden brown, you'll serve your family and guests the juiciest, tenderest turkey ever because you use butter. This year, bake your holiday turkey the American Dairy Association way with real butter. <laughs> Just like the ones I used to know Where those streets are Ah, here we are (laughs) 
And and of course, uh, a lot of folks who are are online and on Facebook are seeing in their heads the reindeer singing. You've seen that little mm-hmm. yes, I love that. I, that's my favorite. One of my favorite things uh, ever is. Uh, I will look for it. Uh, yeah, it's got to be out uh, soon. Somebody will send it soon, and it's really great. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. I am so happy to have Scott Stewart, director of the Lurie Garden, right here in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thank you, and thank you, Peggy, for having me this morning. Um, I uh, It was uh, great meeting you uh, a couple of months ago for that meeting of Chicago Living mm-hmm. Corridors, and thank you for... Uh, being involved in that it's a, it's really an interesting effort and of course uh you got up and and, and delivered some words uh at uh, millennium park about the lurie garden and folks if you've not been down there and, and 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 i'm sure there's a lot of folks in chicago who are sitting there who hear this and say yeah i've been meaning to get down there for a long time i just haven't it hasn't happened do yourself a favor you can do it right now even in the fall in the winter right Absolutely. We are a true four-season garden, 365 days a year. We are open to the public, and there's something beautiful, there's something vibrant, there's something alive always going on at the Lurie Garden. One of the great things about the garden is it's particularly one of my favorite times of year right now, fall-winter transition, beautiful. Um, Pete Uldoff's always famous kind of for saying, as gardeners, we have to remember brown is a color, too. We, we, we've been trained. I think, I think that's going to get tweeted here, okay? <laughs> we've been trained to, to think often that brown is not a color. Brown, uh-huh. brown doesn't belong in our gardens, but brown is a beautiful color in the garden, too. And you can come down to the Lurie Garden right now, and you can see every shade and tone of brown, and it is just spectacular. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Uh, and I uh, was very lucky way back when the garden was, was still being constructed. Uh, I had Pete Udolf on my show. Um, and that's because uh, one of my buddies is Roy Diblick, who grew about 20,000 of the mm-hmm. plants that are in the garden now. I, you know, and it makes me wonder, we're, uh, what, like 12 years down the, the road, uh, how many of those original plants are still there, do you think? It's interesting you bring that. Roy actually is still a very good friend of Larry Garden. He still is our primary plant producer for the garden. We still go to him to buy most all of our plant materials. And you can go to Northwind Perennial Farm. That's where his outfit is. It's in Burlington, Wisconsin. Uh, and you should make a pilgrimage up there. they got a barn, and it's really a cool place. Oh, it's a wonderful place. Yeah. It's a wonderful trip. But it's interesting you ask about the sort of original plants yeah. versus where we're at now. That's a question that Pete and I actually had a conversation about when he was here just recently. And um, it's interesting. He had the same type of question. So one of the little projects that Pete and I – I'm glad I'm asking Roy, the same questions as Pete Udall. You he's, are. He's world you famous. Are. You are. You, you, can, you can mark this date in history. You are asking the same questions <laughs> as Pete Udall. So, so what did you tell him? Well – I didn't really have a good answer for him, mm-hmm. but it, it spurred something in my mind to say, you know what? We have all these great maps from when the garden was originally planted, when Roy was directly involved in the planting and such. And every subsequent year, we have these plant maps that have changed a little bit every year. But the one thing that we've never done is take all of those and lay them over one another ah. and look at the years of change and how those plant communities that are in the garden have changed and moved and shifted Partially because certain plants didn't grow, certain plants were maybe a little too aggressive in the garden, 
or things that we aesthetically just simply wanted to change. We've never looked at that over 10, 12, 15 year time spans. That's a little project that I, Pete and I are going to be working on on the side, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that is so fascinating because I talked to uh, your predecessor, one of your predecessors, Jennifer Davitt, a mm-hmm. few years ago. Um, and as she was explaining to me, well, first of all, you've got to understand it, gardeners already know this, that a, a garden is a living, breathing, evolving entity. It's never the same. And you can – you can try to keep things if you've got sure if you've got if you've got ewes in a lawn you can keep pretty much the same every oh, year it, forever yeah, yeah quite right. easily yeah but if you're growing natives and uh, plants that uh, like to grow with natives and plant communities uh, and you allow for seeds to drop uh, and uh, you're 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 mowing it in the spring to put the mm-hmm. duff back in the ground things are going to change and she explained to me that things would pop up that uh, they didn't want there and then they would have to be aggressive and take them out uh, or they would pop up and they would leave them um, and so that even the lurry over 12 years has evolved considerably. And I look at my own garden and how it's evolved over 12 years. If I just pick a 12-year period, I go, wow, it's not anywhere near the same garden it was then. It's completely different. Uh, so you're, you're dealing with the same things. Oh, abs- absolutely. Because one of the things you have to remember, and I think every even home gardener has to remember this, the garden that we are creating is an ecosystem. It's in ecological terms, and I think you, you know. I think you heard me say this. I'm I'm much less of a horticulturalist, much more of an ecologist. Yeah, I wrote that in my I'm, blog because I I actually went back. Believe it or not, yesterday I had recorded you, and I went back to listen, and I re, all I all I remembered before I listened to the tape yesterday was that how impressed I was, and then I went back and went, oh, that's why I'm impressed. This guy, <laughs> <laughs> you're an ecologist, but you understand, you know, and that's the science end of things. Mm-hmm. There's the landscapers, which is some science, some business, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there's the art mm-hmm. and the culture, mm-hmm. which is something else altogether. And what you talked about in that presentation was how Lurie brings them all together. Absolutely. And I was really impressed by that. Absolutely. And so there's this whole concept in ecology that's beginning to really evolve is this notion of a novel ecosystem. So we're not talking about a restored ecosystem. We're not talking about restoring a prairie or restoring a woodland or something, but Going into, say, an urban site, let's say it was a site that used to be a parking lot and a train yard, Mm -hmm. and creating something that functions very much like a natural ecosystem. That's the story of Lurie Garden. Well, it's a a rooftop of a garage. Exactly. That that concept of novel ecosystem, that is Lurie Garden in a nutshell. And so we manage it much – we manage the garden in much the same way that you would manage, uh, say, a natural area or a wild area. So we use the same type of lessons, just like what you were saying where certain times certain plants would seed in or just appear, and certain times we remove them aggressively sometimes because maybe they're exotic or an invasive type species. Sometimes a species may arrive in the garden, not in the original plan, and we would leave it there. And a good example is common milkweed. Common milkweed was never part of the original design of the garden. No, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. But it's there in the garden, and we're allowing it to spread throughout the garden a little bit. So a little bit. It just depends. a little bit. Because I saw you, did, you also did an article. You've done some really fun articles. You did one mm-hmm. uh, called, Is This a Weed? Mm-hmm. Garden Invaders mm-hmm. Welcome Guests and Photobombers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you have some milkweed that's photobombing other plants, and exactly. so you have to remove them at that point. Exactly. So. One of the struggles we are faced with at Lurie Garden, and I think this is, the true, this is true of any other gardener, is 
we are balancing the ecological vibrancy of the garden, the ecological viability of the garden with the aesthetic, with the beautiful, with the picturesque of the garden. So in that article, for example, there is a common milkweed plant photobombing, so to say, <laughs> our Salvia River. Yeah. Well, at Lurie Gardner, Salvia River is this huge iconic space, this huge iconic thing. And so we have to be very careful about what we allow to photobomb or just simply grow in that space. Yeah, you can't yeah. do that. And, and for folks who are not familiar with it, why don't you explain what the Salvia River is? I have photos of it, and I, and I, and I, I was privileged to be there when they were putting the plants in. I have a photo of the gallon pots of the Salvia River sitting there on top of the mm-hmm, soil mm-hmm. where they were going to form the river. Mm-hmm. And then I have a photo of the river several years later in bloom. And I, and I go from one to the other in a garden talk and say, you know, hey, can anybody identify what this is uh, before? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. even after and I go, at- you know, know what this is? And a lot of people don't. And I say, it's the Salvia River at the Lurie Garden. So explain what that is. The the Salvia River at the Garden, and I'm not going to do it justice by explaining it with words. (laughs) You You have to see it. You have to be there. So in early to mid-spring, June, maybe even into a little bit of early July, come to the Lurie Garden and experience the Salvia River for yourself. So I'll preface my explanation of the Salvia River with that. Okay. But um, what the river is, is really it's, it's a band of salvia, of hardy salvia. So Lurie Garden, we're 100% perennial, 100% hardy hardy uh, plant material. So it's a band of hardy salvia that are planted through what we call the light plate or the west side of the garden. And that is four different cultivars of, of salvia, all of which have slightly different bloom times, slightly different heights, and slightly different bloom colors. They're all in the purple to bluish range, violet range. So what you get over about a two to three week period is this rolling effect, both in color and in actual physical height across two or three weeks of this blooming blue river, so to say, that runs through the heart of of Lurie Garden. It is unlike any other element in a Pete Uldoff garden and really unlike any other element in any public garden. It's really spectacular. So that was something new he did, huh? It was. Do you think was. Roy talked him into it? Uh, <laughs> I know Roy grows a lot of that salvia. He, he does. I, I really, that is a, that's a Pete Uldoff thought right there. The salvia river is. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's very cool. But it takes us to uh, uh, another question here, uh, which is in some circles controversial. And that's the idea of non-natives mm-hmm. being, Coexisting with mm-hmm. native plants, mm-hmm. uh, there's there are people listening to the show who have been on the show who are basically native purists, and I understand that because we have gone we have gone so far away from that uh, for and for such a long time that I understand that reaction to say no, let's just plant natives. But mm-hmm. you and Roy and Pete and some other people say, well, actually, these plants can coexist and not cause harm and actually do good. Explain that philosophy. So it depends to me, at, and I'm, I'm looking at this as my sort of hybrid ecological restoration ecology background plus my horticultural public garden background. And, and let me stop you for a oh, second. Absolutely, okay, because you're going to go there. Um, I don't think people understand that, that – I think a lot of folks who are not gardeners, who are not in, in the industry, look at ec- uh, ecological restoration and landscaping as kind of the same thing. How are they different? 
they very much share the same parentage, if you think of them that way, so the same background. But they are different in that in an ecological restoration, what we are trying to do is we're picking a point in time and saying we're going to restore the plant communities, the animal communities, the insects, so on and so forth, communities back to this point in time and try to remove some of the human-caused disturbances in that ecosystem and restore those ecosystem functions as they were prior to those human disturbances, those human disruptions. Whereas in gardening and horticulture and landscaping, what we're really looking to do, and, and traditionally what we've looked to do, is create an aesthetically beautiful, something very pleasing to us as the gardener or you as the client or however you might want to look at that. Those two worlds are slowly colliding. They're sort of like two galaxies. They're slowly <laughs> colliding at the moment. So. Like, yeah. like we're merging with the Andromeda galaxy, exactly. even at this moment, yes. Yeah, there are these two galaxies that have traditionally separated themselves, but they're slowly colliding, and they're colliding around this idea of what's known as designed plant communities. Mm -hmm. So this is where we get into that novel ecosystem concept, where you look at a space like Lurie Garden, for example. We cannot restore what used to be at Lurie Garden prior to urbanization, prior to human development and disturbance in that space. We just simply can't. Well, it was marsh, wasn't it? It wasn't exactly. there wasn't even mm -hmm. it was lake. There was yeah. there wasn't anything there. Exactly. So we, we can't go yeah. back at this point. Yeah. Um, so what we've what we're looking at doing is taking lessons from ecological restoration, combining them with the skill and knowledge of horticulture gardening. And we're creating these novel ecosystems where we combine native plants and non-native plants. So we're accomplishing the aesthetic. We're accomplishing this beautiful garden. Um, so you have this aesthetic appeal, this multi-season appeal, changes in bloom, color, texture, all of these things landscape designers, garden designers like to talk about. You have all of that. That's the horticultural satisfaction in. But what you also end up having is a functioning ecological system. So at Lurie Garden, for example, where we have native and non-native plants coexisting, we have lots of ecological service occurring, pollination services, uh, uh, pollination services occurring, um, feed for birds, nesting sites for birds, nesting sites for other animals and such. We have all of these things that would be occurring, all these services that would normally be occurring in a natural environment, a natural wild system, occurring in a man-made system, in a human-constructed system, downtown in a highly urbanized area. Yeah, on five mm -hmm. acres, which is tiny. It's yeah. a very, tiny little footprint. Very tiny footprint. Yeah. yeah, so we have this intense biodiversity, this intense ecological service happening in this small footprint of an area, purely constructed from really in nothing, more yeah. or less, purely just, per, per, uh, purely just human construction. Um, but it's mimicking those natural systems. It's mimicking what those natural environments would would uh, be doing. If Lurie Garden wasn't there, it would just be another concrete rooftop or a parking yeah. lot or something like that. Or or lawn. Or lawn. Or yeah. just simply just turf grass. Yeah. You know, not exactly biologically diverse, ecologically important. No. But so I took you on that tangent so we could get back to the subject of how natives and non-natives work together. Absolutely. So. Natives and non-natives work together beautifully in these constructed environments, in these novel ecosystems. Because like at Lurie Garden, for example, combining native and non-native plants, what we're able to do is have a plant, say, in bloom. If all we're looking at, let's say, is pollination service, 
We have a plant in bloom from eh, early March all the way up to and through December, January, depending on the, the temperature and snowfall and so forth. So to accomplish that with purely natives or to accomplish that with purely non-natives would be almost an impossible task. You could do it, but it would be a very difficult task to do. And you would lose that balance between the ecology and the aesthetic. So by combining these native and non-native plants, we maintain this balance between the aesthetic and the ecological while providing a huge season for uh, ecological service. Uh, one of the great things about coming to visit the Lurie Garden now, or let's say in December or January, is that since we leave our garden up year-round, and it has this combination of native and non-native plants in it, you can come to Lurie Garden in December or January, and you can see life. You can see birds. You can see other little critters, rabbits, squirrels, so on and so forth, feeding off of all of the plant material, all the seed that remains in the mm -hmm. garden. And they're feeding off of both native and non-native species. Right. There's nowhere else in the middle of downtown Chicago, in the loop, where you could really see that type of activity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's wonderful. Where else, where else can you see that? Where else can you experience that? Well, most of the other downtown areas are campus, which means turf grass. Turf grass. Yeah. Turf grass, maybe some ewes, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've, you've got this five and a half acres, or I'm sorry, five acres, two and a half acres basically of the garden. One of the things that I was impressed with at the uh, the talk that I didn't realize <laughs> is that you have more than four million people come through mm -hmm. this each year, and you think that might be low that estimate. Correct, correct. So I I I do believe that that estimate is a little low. We've believe it or not, one of the things in the excitement of building Lurie Garden in getting the garden up and running and growing, one of the things that we've never really done is accurately count all the people that come visit our garden. We know it's a lot, but what does a lot mean? Is it 100,000? Mm -hmm. Is it a million? Well, based on estimates that we have for the rest of Millennium Park, we feel there's about four, maybe five million people a year that come to Lurie Garden. And one of the things that we're doing next year is we're getting a much more accurate count. Well, put that. that in perspective because mm -hmm. you told me, mm -hmm. you told the crowd there that day that that puts Lurie Garden in the top five in the world. Yes, that would put, if, if we're able public, to verify... Uh, public, public space. Public gardens, yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're able to verify that five or six million number, yeah. that puts Lurie Garden in the top five botanic gardens, public gardens, arboreta, most visited in the world. Wow. I mean, when you consider it was, it was created 12 years ago. Yes. This is stunning. Now, it does uh, help that it's in the middle, yes. smack on the lake, Downtown Chicago, world class city, et cetera, et cetera. So, as they say, location, location, location. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but but here you have this thing that, as you pointed out, was created by human forces. Um, it's not a, a, a natural occurring area, and yet you've turned it into a sanctuary for animals. Uh, do you find? Uh, have you been able to measure the birds that come through? I know we have the corridor along mm -hmm. Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. How does this enhance their experience? So we certainly are part of the migration corridor along yeah. Lake Michigan. We absolutely are, and and we have a lot of resident birds as well in the garden. And we actually also serve as a good um, feeding site, for example, uh, for all of the, the birds of prey that, ha that tend to live in all of the buildings surrounding us. Right. You've got the, the falcons and yes. whatever in, yes. in the high-rise, which is one of – someday I have to do a show – uh, Peggy, we we have to do a show just on that. Yes, our definitely. segment. I mean, it's just oh, it's, it's too definitely. cool. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It absolutely is. So, 
Lurie Garden serves a lot of purposes for our, our bird wildlife. So we know uh, because we are a very hot birding spot uh, throughout the year, not just during spring and fall migration, mm-hmm. but throughout the year, we're a very hot birding spot. Um, we know we have roughly 95 to 100 different species of birds that call Lurie Garden home at some point during a year, mm-hmm. which again, where else in the loop, where else in downtown Chicago are you going to see that type of, of diversity? Very, no. very few places. No. Let me ask you a question. We, we only have a couple more minutes here, and I, we could, I could go out for hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like I'm so geeking out here. I'm just so happy. Um, I'm going to be a little controversial here. Uh, talk about the shoulder hedge. Yes. I, if you say shoulder hedge, there are a lot of people go, what's that? Uh, explain the shoulder hedge. All right. So the shoulder hedge on the north and west sides of the garden, that's the large sort of hedge, the large wall of green that's made up of uh, five different cultivars of arborvitae plus two different species of deciduous tree. You got some beach in there, right? Yes, yes. We have ironwood and, and European Iron, beach. Okay. Yes. Um, and I have always scratched my head mm-hmm. about it, and I bet a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's successful? I think it is actually wildly successful. Okay. But you have to look at the shoulder hedge from within the garden, not from without the garden. So come into the Lurie Garden sometime. Come along our seam boardwalk. And stand at the middle of our seam boardwalk and look toward um, the skyline of Chicago. And what you will see is laid out in front of you, you will see this palette of prairie-like plants, of all of these native and non-native plants that are planted in this community that is very ecologically mimicking a prairie. You'll see that laid out in front of you. And then you will see this wall of green that is the shoulder hedge that sort of readjusts your eyes so you're transitioning from this semi-chaotic environment of mm-hmm. this constructed um, this constructed plant community, this, this designed plant community. You run into the shoulder hedge, and that transitions your eyes into a vertical element that then transitions your eyes on into the formal sort of architectural elements mm-hmm. of, the, of the skyline of Chicago. And then imagine your same view without the shoulder hedge there. And what you'd be looking at as yeah. you transitioned into the skyline would be all of the people. If there was an event going on elsewhere in the park, all the little pop-up tents and trailers and such, you'd be looking at all of the stuff, the chaotic stuff that makes up the rest of Millennium Park before you entered into that skyline view. So what that shoulder hedge does is create that sense of isolation in the garden, the sort of safe space that is the garden. But then it also breaks your visual, sort of creates a visual cue for you that you're transitioning into the skyline, and it cleans that view up. So you get this sense that you're in this garden that is basically plopped into the middle of downtown Chicago with nothing else surrounding it. Oh, my God, it's genius, and I never knew it. The city gone. Poof. No wonder I don't get a MacArthur Grant. I have no sense of genius at all. Uh, oh, how, how has the mortality, mortality rate been with those trees in the shoulder hedge? It, it's actually been very good. So Because I, I looked at it and went, oh, man, mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of dead trees in there. But it, it hasn't happened it, that way, it has it? It has not happened. Early on, we had uh, – there was a couple of the cultivars that were selected originally that yeah. weren't exactly as hardy as they could have been yeah. for that location. So particularly on the interior side, the garden side, where right. you get lots of winter winds off the, right. off the, off the lake, they, they froze out. 
those have been replaced early on, and now it's it's pretty self sustaining in many ways. Wow, yeah. that, that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I okay. The last question, then, because because I, I got more guests. I got <laughs> Sarah's Sarah, out in the Sarah's hallway right now. Them, right. Yeah. Uh, I, because uh, we want people to come to the garden. Mm-hmm. What are they going to learn uh, just by coming here in uh, in late fall and early winter? What they're what they're going to learn is a, a new perspective on gardening. So they may have looked at their home gardens as being done at this time of year and buying into that thing that we've been sold by a lot of landscape companies that you clean up your garden in the oh fall. Oh, my God. You clear it all away and you cut everything and into ball exactly. shapes. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you clean it up in the fall because it saves you time in the spring. And that's a complete and utter lie. So <laughs> you really ought to just leave that garden up. And that's what they're going to learn. And they're going to learn the beauty of what that looks like. They can also they can also participate in some of our fall and winter courses, some of our workshops that we have. Uh, I have a workshop coming up in early December on plant tissue culture, something you might like, Mike, yeah. a little bit of science, a when, little bit of is, biotechnology. It's in early December. I, I don't remember the exact date, but if you go to lurigarden.org, you can actually sign up for our, our courses. All of our courses are free to the public. First come, That's first another serve. thing. Everything is absolutely free over there. Everything is absolutely free. <laughs> Give them a ding. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't get that a lot in Chicago, but everything no, is free. No, no. So, I was talking about graft earlier, so <laughs> there you go. But this is Chicago. Uh, Scott Stewart, director of the Lurie Garden at Millennium Park. Uh, will you please come back and geek out with me some more? Okay, your PR person is nodding, so uh, that's good. You know, he's, he's important. He's got people with him. Okay. <laughs> you can tell when somebody's important when, when the head of the PR company shows up. Uh, with him so please come back um we'd love to discuss this more this is the great stuff anytime i'd be i'd be happy to come and back of course uh let's let people and thank know. you for the lurie garden honey too oh that's right you brought absolutely uh, yes. because you have your own bees there because we have our own bees at lurie garden they feed off of lurie garden one time a year at the end of october we have urban wild uh so if you missed your chance to buy lurie garden honey you'll have to wait all the way until the end of october again next year and go to lurigarden.org. See, I'm doing my PR. See, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I got it together I today. I Okay, so uh, <laughs> lurigarden.org to find out more. And go to my website, mikenovak.net, to see a lovely picture of Scott and uh, some of the stuff we talked about today. Yes, you will be back, sir, and uh, we are really looking forward to it. Excellent. Anytime. Thank you both. Okay. Thank you. Uh, now, you might, if you follow me on Facebook uh, uh, and or Twitter, and other places you might have seen uh, me this week out doing my caroling thing. It's that time of the year. My group, the Frozen Robins, is out there, and um, you know, tweeting I'm, up a storm. And what? And tweeting up a storm and, out there, the and, Robins, and chirping up a storm up. as well. That's what you meant, tweeting and chirping. Uh, and we were at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Yesterday, uh, I'm going to be at the Morton Arboretum tonight. I, I suspect they're sold out for their illumination today, but if they aren't, you might want to scam a ticket. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know, I'm just going to play this for you. This is something we sang last Tuesday. We were on uh, uh, at the Morton Arboretum and uh, did a little piece for WCIU-TV. Uh, it's a brand new song that we did, and I thought, uh, okay, they, they did a little video of it. I'm going to play just a little bit of it before we get into the second hour. And if you're interested in hiring us, I'm here. You know how to get a hold of me. I mean, that's 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 the commercial right there. It's like, just, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm on Facebook, on Twitter. You can go to my website, blah, 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 blah. So uh, I hope uh, if you have a holiday event, you give the Frozen Robins a try. 
Take a listen. Oh, holy night. Late December, back in 1 BC. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Oh, holy night. Mary rode a monkey across the dunes. Joseph walked, they couldn't get a room. Booked a manger, what a night. Oh, my. She got a funny feeling as he moved in her womb. Oh, why? She ever let that angel in her room. Oh, holy night. Three wise men, all of the Orient were. Brought him gold and frankincense and mirth. Crashed the party, what a night. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer Asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Who walks the stair without a care and makes the happiest sound? Bounce up and down just like a clown. Everyone knows it's Linky. The best present trick to give or get. The favorite all over town. The hit of the day when you're ready to play. Everyone knows it's Linky. It's Linky. It's Linky. For fun, it's the best of the toys. It's Linky. It's Linky. The favorite of girls and boys. And boys and girls, more fun with Slinky Pull Toy, Slinky Caterpillar, Slinky Train, Slinky Hippopotamus. Everyone wants a Slinky Pull Toy. Hello, everybody. We're Fleming John. Hello. And we want to sing for you this evening one of our all-time favorite holiday classics. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Now that should be live streamed. Yeah. <laughs> no. That, that would be uh, just Not. awesome. No, I love it. This is uh, one of my all-time favorite carols, like uh, the Klesmanauts doing Joy to the World is one of my all-time uh, favorite carols. So this is what you're getting for the next few weeks, folks. Deal with it. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, Q4 Radio, 1680 AM, Q4.org. Very, very, very happy. Uh, and we were debating how you pronounce your last name before you got here. Sir Rose. That's what we thought. Okay. Uh, Sarah Sarose from Conserve Lake County, the brand new executive director. So I'm wondering, were you in the room? Did everybody take a step backward and then you found yourself being executive director? Is that how that works? I'm not sure. <laughs> she didn't run fast enough. First that's, how, that's, how, no. that's how it's worked for me a couple of times. Like I, I look around, like, well, where did everybody go? Okay, I'm the president. All right, whatever. No, not at all. Um, first, let me say thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be well, it's here. It's great to have you well, back. Thanks. You know, Sarah's yeah. been here, uh, I think you once on the phone and maybe once in person yeah, or something like that. It's been I'm a, several years, yeah. though. Yeah, it's it has 2014, been. I think. It was yeah. back at Progresso Radio, so... Uh, but, um, you know, I, I pay attention to what's going on up there because it's a great organization, uh, which has been around how long now? We're in our third decade now. Holy smoke. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, Peggy lives up that way, so mm-hmm. she's uh, paying attention to what you're doing as well. Um, so here you are. You're the new ED. Uh, what does that mean? Uh well, um, I've been in the role now for almost two months. I've worked for the or- I've worked in Lake County for thirty years. Yeah, and I worked at Conserve Lake County for it's been eleven years after quite a long uh, stint at the Forest Preserve District. And what it means? So you got the chops here. I mean, you you, you come by this honestly. This- Someone must think that. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> no, I think no. See, when if you've been doing it that long, if you've been if you're if you're out there in the forest preserves and, and you're doing this kind of work for thirty years, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what you're doing. So and, and you're a county resident, which helps too. Ab- oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say that the expertise I have at this point is because of all the people I've been working with for all these years. This region has just a fabulous uh, number of people with expertise, with passion and skills, Mm -hmm. and I've learned so much from all of them. And the inspiration, of course, comes from the land itself. And so it's exciting to be in this role now where I can um, step up and play a, a different role and contribute at a different level, and I'm really excited about it. I've, we've got a fabulous staff, a lot of talent there, and our board of directors brings an additional level of expertise mm-hmm. to the table. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to some specifics here. I, I'm sure there's some folks listening who who live in Lake County and, and others who uh, are wondering what you're doing. You can use as a, an example for other 
for their own counties and, and actions there. What's what's at the top of the list right now for Lake County? Well, uh, you know, Lake County is one of you know the whole region, the county nonprofit land conservation groups are very busy working with people on caring for the land that they love. And so we spend a lot of time working with property owners or property managers, whether Mm -hmm. it's public or private land, specifically private land, and help them implement projects that improve the health, beauty, and and more so the resilience of this landscape. And, And that crosses... County lines, you know, the work that we do goes throughout the Chicago region and vice versa. Yeah. And so these are important things. Now, I I have to say more than ever with things where they're at at the state and federal level, um, the work of these local nonprofit conservation groups is critical. And we're gearing up for some pretty important work in the coming years. Yeah. You know, uh, are you familiar with the... Uh, cons- uh, I'm sorry, uh, Chicago Living Corridors? Yes. Okay. Because you were talking about private folks getting involved, too, because it can't all be public lands. One of the things I've learned from the, the Chicago Living Corridors people is that we're, we're way past the time when the public lands are going to support all of our species and, and that it's going to provide the, the cleansing that our systems need. We If we don't get the private folks involved, it ain't going to happen. Mike, you hit the nail on the head. The public lands are important, but as beautiful and grand as our forest preserves are, they simply are not large enough or connected enough to provide the services that we need from this land. You know, mm-hmm. we the land's been good to us, and we need to be good to it, and it provides so many services to us, not just functional services, economic resilience, but also the spiritual joys that we need um, on our day-to-day lives. And what happens on the private properties is really important. Yeah. (laughs) You could could say that, yeah. 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 And so we help people with projects that fit their needs, their goals, their budgets, their lifestyles. Uh, and again, whether it's public or private land, we can help out. Okay, i got to stop you for a minute. Peggy and I are looking at each other. Is there like, an earthquake going on outside? We, suddenly in a bowling alley? It's, I don't know what that noise is. It's just this rumbling out there. and I, It's probably not even picked up on the mic, so you folks... Uh, you know, are saying, what are they talking about? But we can hear it here. And it, 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 Peggy ran out to the lobby to see if somebody was bowling out in the lobby here. And, and I that, shut the window. And we and shut the window. And we're still hearing things like... Oh, see, Mike, what happens when you start talking about Conserve Lake County, the earth shakes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, one of the things that you mentioned when we were prepping for the show is you're working with uh, a progressive home builder. Yeah, to help shape a new subdivision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a oh come neat, on that's not that's an oxymoron. That's an oxymoron, yeah. yeah. But it's a neat uh, it's a neat space to be working in because so often we're working with folks on property that's already been developed. Mm-hmm. In this case, a developer is creating a new subdivision with forty six homes, and they want to find out 
what it would look like, what kinds of things they should be thinking about if they want to do some good things for land and water and the people at the same time that they're building this. And so it's been very interesting area that we're working in um, mm-hmm. from the ground up, helping the builder understand what this so what's and, and how do you teach a builder to understand something? That's what I want to know. Well, and, and I'm learning as well. So he and I can walk this mm-hmm. property together, both the area where they'll be developing the homes and the area where, that they are protecting. There's a gorgeous oak woodland on the property, for instance. And so we're teaching each other about our world. Oh, and yeah. I think that's Those will make really good, good pallets. You cut those down, they, they make great pallets. <laughs> Great. That's really good wood. Nice. So what what sort of things are you suggesting to the builder? Uh, Well, where does the water go? What's the quality of the water? Mm -hmm. Um, What kinds of trees will be planted? And what kind of system can you set up to ensure the success of those trees? You know, trees, you know, for all of us, we need to, uh, and some people do get this, trees are not like... um, street lamps and benches and gazebos they're like puppies you want to pick the right one for the right situation you want to give it a really good spot clean water etc and and take care of it those you know extra tlc those first mm-hmm. few months that first year goes a long way it pays off a great investment and uh, looking at natives when it's appropriate. Not all of them need to be natives, of course, but in a very traditional well, you, you were, looking Obviously, place. you were listening to the conversation with Scott Stewart before. No, yeah. no. That, I, I you already knew this. Natives. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Let's, let's get your, your, your quick take on that. As you know, uh, you've already said, you volunteered that not everything needs to be natives, and it's a, sort of a reasonable approach, and yet you're a person who's worked with natives for 30 years or longer. Um, uh, what's your balance? How do you, how do you uh, make that work? Um, it's not that hard. There's so much room in the landscape for natives. I, I, one of my biggest concerns is that a lot of people don't know when they're shopping for a tree or a shrub or something. They're not, they don't know what is native. And there are a lot of... There's, there's, um, there's a thing called Google. Well, uh, you know? but I'll be honest, and you've seen this, I'm sure, Mike, uh, that uh, a lot of the sellers and growers aren't, they're a little late to the part, and they aren't sure what oh native is themselves. Oh, my goodness. Don't and, even get me started right. on well, that. Okay, no, yeah, you're there. right about that. Well, yeah, it's true, because they're going to these, these places, and they're saying, oh, you'll love this tree, and they don't tell you that it's, you know, native to uh, Asia or Right, or, or native Europe. to Western United States. Or, Wait, right, you know. right. Here's a native uh a Dawn Redwood or something like right. that. And Native it's, to America, but yeah. not mm-hmm. to the Chicago region. So if someone really wants to know if something's native or not, you can um, invest in or look at this really fat book called Plants of the Chicago Region by uh, Swink and Wilhelm. That's the Bible. Oh, of course for, it uh, is, yeah. yes. But <laughs> for you- more practical purposes, uh, go to our website, conservelakecounty.org, ah, and you, you will go. find... The natives that not only perform well in a suburban, urban landscape, but that also are um, generally available on the market, you know, whether it's trees or whatnot. And that's one of the problems is that uh, you can look this stuff up. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to get the tree. But right. you can go, as you said, uh, you help people find places. Now, obviously, a great place for trees and shrubs is a possibility place in Moni yes. uh, and uh, Connor Shaw. Uh, but there, and there are other places. But it's still, 
it, it, it should be easier. And it's, it's one not. of the barriers that we have found to helping people express their values on their landscape. Mm-hmm. And so uh, about four or five years ago, we started selling native trees and shrubs and plants online and on site as a fundraiser for our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor and Kelsey Shaw at Possibility Place are uh, one of the growers we work with, so people don't have to drive all the way south of the city. <laughs> they can order online and pick up at our office, um, mm-hmm. which is in Central Lake County. And and uh, how many of those sales do you have a year? Uh, spring and fall, and we're Yay. looking at um, expanding that into a, you know bridging the two seasons now. I'm hoping we can pull that off this year. And you can pre-order <laughs> them too. Yep. Yeah, you know, maybe we cool. maybe we need to do a show from one of those uh, sales. Yeah. There. Well, it's right next to Almond Marsh, so it's a really pretty backdrop. It's in, it's in the center of Almond Marsh, so you know, instead of that annual trip to the um, yes, <laughs> yes. In, instead of that annual trip to the apple orchard, take your yeah. annual trip out to Almond Marsh and uh, spend some time with us. And Start a new tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of curious, getting back to the county as a whole, which mm-hmm. continues to sprawl, and 22 gets wider, and 53 keeps looming. Yeah. How how is Conserve Lake County involved with land planning? So we work at the large, big picture planning scale as well as on the gr- boots on the ground mm-hmm. scale. And so um, at the planning scale, we um, a big project we've been involved with now is at the request of the county. Forest Preserve District, we've helped. I'm on their advisory committee. We're helping them with a new, very sophisticated green infrastructure model and strategy. And this is almost ready to be released in 2017. It's going to help lay the groundwork for preservation and management for decades to come. We also are are the leader of a group called the Land Conservation Partners of Lake County, Mm -hmm. and this involves groups at the regional and state level as well. There are 17 different organizations, uh, public and nonprofit, that we bring together. uh, Right now, about once a year, we bring that group together, identify where are we all going and where have we been, how can we collaborate. And so um, that group, under our leadership, identified target goals for planning. But another example at the planning level would be uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has come to the Chicago area, working closely with Chicago Wilderness Consortium on something like the... um, a project like the Monarch Recovery mm-hmm. Program. And we've been asked to be a part of that, too, because of the work that we do on private property. What are you going to do as part of the Monarch Recovery Program? With whom are you So you as Fish and Wildlife oh, Service okay, um, with the Chicago Wilderness Alliance great. and the Field Museum, the Center for Action mm-hmm. at the Field Museum, is pulling together some of the the best of the best programs that work. And through that, and uh, Conserve Lake County's at the table helping them understand what we have found works and doesn't work. Uh, there are other Can groups you give us, as give, well. give us some examples of things that, that you found that do work. Well, the monarch, you know, this, this little guy is blinking toward extinction really fast. Oh, we know that. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. We've been talking about it all year, been talking about it for several years, but really... 
I think we're in crisis right now. In terms we are. Of our, yeah. We are in crisis. So what we need to do is get more milkweed on the ground as fast as possible. And there's about half a dozen species of milkweed that uh, the monarchs benefit from. Mm-hmm. They, they have to have the milkweed to complete their life cycle. So we just received a grant through the Conservation Foundation, which is one of our partners to the west of us here in Naperville, received a large grant where we're going to be distributing milkweed flats to property owners who we know have the right kinds of properties for them. And um, we'll also be selling milkweed, of course. Uh, one of the things I'd like to do, kind of a, a weird thing, is I'd like to rebrand the, the name milkweed. I've been talking about that for years. Oh, okay? good. Yeah, call it <laughs> but- do it. butterfly weed, you know? Call it well, monarch weed. Get rid of weed. the weed part. Co- or, I mean, I'm sorry, I meant, I meant butterfly plant. <laughs> yeah. Mon- uh, yeah monarch- butterfly booster. Monarch you flower. You There's know? all sorts of good names yeah, being just- kicked around, but, you know, the fish mm-hmm. industry renamed a bunch of fish, and that worked. Everyone yeah, wanted really, that fish. What did they Oh, you know, and I can't, uh, I couldn't remember good examples right now. But you it know, wasn't pretty... carp, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, a, there are a lot of fish species they renamed, and then all of a sudden everyone wanted yeah. those. We can oh, do the I, same I, yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, you, you know, branding is a huge part of this, uh, and people are stuck in their mindset. They hear it's a weed, and so that's it. End of story. We're done. Yeah, especially when you get something like swamp milkweed. Yeah, it's like now we've got the weed and the swamp. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. and and that's a uh, that's a gorgeous, beautiful rose-colored flower. Yeah, it is. That doesn't need a swamp. It does very well yeah. on a variety of properties. So, so that's an example. At um, so at, how, how you said you're going to be mixing the flats, you know, for homeowners who have properties that are suitable. Mm-hmm. So, how would a homeowner find out if they're suitable? Find out if their property is suitable. So this particular project is for people who are already uh, participating in our Conservation at Home program. That's a program created by the Conservation Foundation, but it's available through most of the Chicago region now, where you work one-on-one with your nonprofit land conservation group to find out what works on your property that meets your needs under your budget and goals. And, of course, the larger the property, the more options you have, all the way up to looking at uh, those property owners who want to preserve part of their uh, Mm -hmm. land through a conservation easement or some other tool that's out there that helps to protect property forever. Uh, By the way, that is Sarah Sorose. She's the new executive director of Conserve Lake County. You can go to conservelakecounty.org and find out about a lot of these programs. Uh, Yeah, I think the conservation at home effort is uh is brilliant it's it's a good way to draw people in and you know they even give them a certificate you get the the right number of plants and or percentages or whatever and and habitat in your yard yeah we'll give you a certificate i think you got to give people something to Mm -hmm. aspire to it's not just all feel good stuff let's let's give them a goal absolutely and uh, and every property owner and every property is different and so there's no brochure or website or workshop that's going to do what a one-on-one on-the-ground appointment mm-hmm. can do. And so that's one of the services that we provide. Uh, I was going to ask you a little bit about uh, Prairie Crossing. That's in Lake County, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Yeah, so how much of what they've done there is a model for what the rest of the county is doing? 
And and if folks and maybe you can explain a little bit about and, what and Prairie that's in Cross- Libertyville. Yeah, Prairie Crossings in Grays, Grays Lake. Grays Lake. Yeah, I'm thinking Liberty Prairie Cross, the Liberty. Yeah, Grays Lake at mm-hmm. uh, 45 and. Yep, um, Prairie Crossing is a conservation community in Central Lake County, and it's the western edge of the Liberty Prairie Reserve. Now, this is a six thousand acre landscape prairie crossing anchors it on the west but within this 6,000 acre landscape over half the acres are permanently protected from development and prairie crossing has a significant amount of its land in conservation easement and it manages those areas for wildlife clean water resilient landscapes and at the same time there's uh, schools uh, there's uh, church, uh, homes. The Colby Barn for yeah. performance. The question I have about that is this, uh, and I have my, I have a cap, baseball cap that has uh, People's Republic of Prairie Crossing on it, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, it was touted as the future. This is a new way to deal with developments, and uh, and it seems like it's been a success, so why don't we see more Prairie Crossings? Well, I would say that we are seeing more prairie crossings, but um, each time it happens, it happens at a different level. So here, here's some things we've learned. One is that your property needs to meet the aesthetics that you have, and it needs to express your values and fit into your budget. Unless you like use and lawn, in which case you... <laughs> right. So, you, you know, you can I'm sorry. Put... <laughs> See, I'm being... I, I... I'm I'm being the hard guy here. I'm just like, come on, there's a certain point at which you're not helping, okay? You're just, you're part of the problem. Well, you're right. Now, me? Are you saying me, Mike? No, no, no. I'm saying you. (laughs) Generic you. Okay, just had to clear that up. One is part of the problem. So you can put... You can put native trees in a row. You can um, design your garden to look just as, quote-unquote, normal as the next one. You know, there are so many aesthetics to our landscape. You pick what works for you. That's a very important lesson learned. So Deer Path Farm in Matawa is another example of a conservation community. Uh, The one that I mentioned earlier um, where we're working with mm-hmm. a developer who's um, right now clearing the land for those homes. Uh, in, in these cases, farmland is actually being turned into homes and natural areas that do more good for the landscape than when those homes were not there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, a fabulous message that translates to any property. Whether you're a corporate landscape or managing the schoolyard or your homeowner association, common areas, these are, these are principles that translate well. Mm-hmm. And the folks at Prairie Crossing led the way with unpacking what that looks like, what the cost-benefit ratios are, et cetera. So I and this experiment, I, I assume, is actually working very well. Yes, and, uh, and because, th- because you wonder, and sometimes down the road you you discover, well, it didn't it didn't pan out the way we we thought it would. It and might. I would say that the reason why our conservation at home program is is as successful as it is, we've been on over one thousand properties now, is because of leaders at Prairie Crossing. Mm-hmm. Those types of um, folks, those visionaries, 
helps set the tone for a lot of this work. It's a, a ripple effect, I would say. I, I would certainly hope so. You know, <laughs> just we're we're in such dire straits, and, and, and now, you know, nobody's talking about the big 800-pound, 8,000-pound gorilla in the room, which is that people who are in favor of conservation and uh, environmental uh, standards are going to have a really hard lift in the next four years. It's, yeah. it's going to get a lot worse. Pretty tough at the state level, and now this federal issues come along. Yeah. So, yeah. The, I mean, in Illinois, we don't even have a budget, you right. know, and the IDNR is, is, as far as I can tell, fairly dysfunctional, and there's a lot of dysfunction going on in Springfield, and now we're going to add the dysfunction in Washington, and if not outright uh, blowback, it, you know, uh, taking us. What, I can't think of the right word, going in the wrong direction, you know, well, reversal you, of what we've done. You know, there's we're definitely looking at some issues with leadership, policy, funding right now. But, you know, I was struck by um, something that's painted on the wall right outside your studio here, so, uh, so a quote to the effect that we have to remember that the left wing and the right wing are both connected to the same bird. And we really are all part of one people, one nation. And uh, as we go forward these next several years, I, th- I think that the role of these local land conservation organizations like Conserve Lake County, Open Lands, the Conservation Foundation, these kinds of groups who are working at the local regional level, that role is going to become even more important and more urgent and uh, more critical for everything from the pollinators and climate change to clean water and good policy. The, the local community work is really going to be critical. And, and that's why Conserve Lake County is here. You know, that's the question I was going to ask at the end is how do we look at the big picture? And you just did. So I think that wraps it up. Uh, and, and, and I think the message you're saying is that it is local. It is it is personal. It's it's each home, each person getting involved. Is this the only way that we uh, do this? Is if we hang together? Because we most assuredly will hang separately if we don't. Right. And, and Mike, I gotta say, it's really neat to see the number of people who are linking up with each other now on these sorts of things. Our membership is growing. Our donor base is growing. I think in part in response to those sorts of things. But people are linking up their voices, their wallets, their backs, their mm-hmm. brains. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm feeling hopeful and positive about these things. And I don't know if it's okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and say that, you know, we all just got done with that big Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> Black Friday. Tomorrow is Cyber Monday. But Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And it's the global day of giving back to nonprofits. You don't have to wait till Tuesday. You could do it right now. You could yeah, do it today. Yeah, please do. Please do right now. Yeah. <laughs> Go to conservelakecounty.org and make a donation or, or your other favorite local nonprofit. There's land so many. Conservation group. Or you can become a member too, right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, by linking up, we are all going to be stronger together. There, there's no question about it. Sarah Soros, thank you so much for coming down to the studio. It's great seeing you again. I always appreciate having you here. Oop, I'm Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, and uh, good luck. Congratulations. 
and good luck. And uh, I, I'm sure you're going to do great things up there. And and let's see if we can save the monarchs. Wouldn't that be nice? Absolutely. I mean, I, it's, <laughs> I, I hate to always have it focused on that because there's so much else going on. But it is sort of symbolic of our mission Absolutely. Uh, right now. And, and I think we're all going to be holding our breath when uh, the winter count comes in Mexico. Um, so go to Conserve Lake County, uh, and that is at uh, conservelakecounty.org, and uh, get involved. That's how it works. All right, this is the time of year when a lot of folks start to get serious about holiday gift shopping. If you have a gardener in your life, boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I have a gift for you. Sarah, you should know about this. Happy Leaf LED. It's a commercial quality LED grow light that's designed for anybody who likes to grow anything. Lightweight, uncomplicated, no fans, no motors, just plug it in. And it's long-lasting with a 50,000-hour minimum lifespan. You can use it for seed starting, but who knows what you're capable of growing under this light. This all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums allows the full range of plant growth. The Direct Gardening Association has already given Happy Leaf LED their 2017 Green Thumb Award, and it's made in the U.S. of A. I already have a couple of them myself. Get it for a friend. Get it for yourself. Go to happyleafled.com for complete kits that will get you up and growing in a matter of minutes. Happy Leaf LED, it's about the light. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more. Airbrush supply. Mike down. Mike down. Mike down. And we don't mean Mike Novak. No, no, not this one. Find out more at (laughs) chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Maybe we can airbrush that back together. Oh, no. Stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Okay, in a minute we're going to fix the microphone and we'll be talking to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around. This is Mike Novak for Chicago Wilderness in my own Logan Square Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that is in danger of going extinct, like the monarch butterfly or Blanding's turtle or the little brown bat? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. Friend an animal species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. Want to make a positive move in the housing market? Replace your siding and windows. You'll improve your home's look and energy efficiency, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling and energy needs. Siding, windows, solar and wind power, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. 
They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace, with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. But let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Well, Mr. Wallace, that's a prettier pie than I ever baked with plain white shortening. And look how flaky it is. This yellow Fluffo is such a short shortening. Makes pie crust so rich. Like cooking champions, get richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get golden Fluffo. to our resident meteorologist, Rick DeMaio. Mr. DeMaio, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. You went uh, deep into the archives on that one. He's he's doing the mumbo. I was doing all kinds of stuff today. I wish I should have dialed uh, the phone earlier so you could have heard uh, the thing that happened right before. And if I can find it, I I, I will get that for you. Um, But... Uh, what, what was this? Was this the the another, thing right before the right before the music, uh, you might have heard. I don't know if you heard any of the the end of that commercial. Uh, for no, I did not. For for golden fluffo, okay, golden fluffo, oh, uh, which is a, a shortening, and the spokesperson yeah. for it was Mike Wallace. Okay. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah, he, he, know, he likes to get the deep voice going on those me TV commercials, huh? Yeah, yeah, and uh, but but I thought and I couldn't help. But think that uh, it 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 brings us to the present day, where our our uh, TV uh, news reporters have become shills for the politicians, if not the companies themselves. So, yeah, I, I think that was one way of the of the news organizations back then, kind of showing the lighter side of the um, of the anchors. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. If that was. So bad back then. Um, well, it was a different it, world it, back then. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the, I, think, I think everybody. Yeah, go on. I'm just going to say because at that point, at that time, the news operations were separate from the entertainment operations, and and every right, and nobody right. expected the news operations to make money. 
Uh, and right. they, didn't, they didn't expect them to target an audience. Yeah. So yeah, which is which is what they've yeah turned into, especially with cable. I think that that's that's the, the cable, cable right? Has, yeah. yeah, cable's yeah. killed us. And, Cable's and, killing us right yeah. now. Yeah, and you know it really it all started with with the first debate when when that first debate the first Republican debate um, showed all these massive ratings for Donald Trump. Everybody went, "Holy smoke! Did you see that?" And then his numbers went up in the polls, and he got to be in the center of the podium. And next thing you know, um, he was the center of attention for, what, about 16 months. And, and, and we only have ourselves to blame for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of blame to go around, that's for sure. Um, yeah, but at least, we have, at least we have Saturday Night Live to, uh, uh, to give us a little bit of um, uh, comic relief um, every Saturday night. And, and if you don't. If you don't get the seed, you can always you can always YouTube it, right? Well, unfortunately, it was a, a rerun last night, so I didn't even get right, to right, right, enjoy right, that. Yeah, yeah that, that 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 I noticed. I was never one for for current Saturday Night Live, but yeah, when I noticed it was a rerun, um, maybe Alec Baldwin said, "I, I need the week off." <laughs> but it did but, have Alec but, Baldwin in the piece, anyways. But yeah, right. Yeah, it was the one like right after uh, Trump had that horrible um, uh, recording that was that proved to be yeah. not. It didn't. It didn't, didn't really make a dent. Um, so, you know, it's not only the people who are, um, I guess, against Trump, but it was also the people for Trump. Mike, you got to look at it that way. I mean, it, it's 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 a two way street when it comes down to it. It really is. And um, uh, and you know, they they effectively you know cat you know capitalize on on Bill Clinton's indiscretions. And I mean, it was. I still think it was. Weird that you know a couple of years after he was out of office, he's on the Oprah show and he's basically being um, presented to uh, a crowd of women who are standing up giving an applause. I, I always thought that was odd, and I thought to myself, okay, if that can happen, then this can happen now, and it did. It really did, and it, it's hard to admit that, but but it is. Uh, well, yeah, um, some of that. Anyway, let's get to let's get to weather. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's what, just what, move, move right the along. Ultimate ice break. I got a quick story. I was up at uh, Northbrook Toyota. I was getting my car serviced yesterday, and from behind the guy goes, "Goes so how's the weather today?" And I turn around and I go, "Oh, hi. Um, and you are?" He goes, "Oh, I, that's right. You don't know who I am, but I I know who you are." I go, "Oh, the ultimate icebreaker, right?" So, <laughs> so how's the weather? And and the guy kind of looked sheepishly like off to the side, like I just I just insulted him. Which I guess I probably did. Well, um, maybe he thought you were one of those guys who um, doesn't like to be recognized and doesn't want to talk to average Joe on the street. You know, you're you're stuck up TV guy. Maybe that's what he thought you were. Nah, it, it was just it was just kind of funny because whenever people do say that, I always I always say, okay, who are you? You know, he goes, oh, I'm nobody. I'm not. No, you're 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 somebody. I mean, I I want, I want to know who you are. You know, but um, anyway, so it was. But he wanted to know, you know, obviously what a lot of other people are are thinking is when does the pattern finally change? When do we get out of this, you know, this mild pattern that has now become more seasonable? Um, but it looks like, you know, we're going to get right back into mild weather as quickly as, um, well, today, once we lose some of the low clouds and fog. But it, it's always it's always hard to get really warm this time of the year unless you have bright sunshine yeah um but that he he pretty much wanted to know when do we get into our our first snow because typically in the past we have our first snow of the year 
um, or at least measurable snow by the middle of the month and our first inch or so by the first or second of December. And you, you, can, you can kind of see people going, so, so when is it going to happen? It's like they want it to happen to some regards. They want to know about it, and then they don't want to know. I always find that interesting. Yeah, well, there are well, well, I don't mind. I like snow. So, when I'm asking about it, I want to know when it's going to come because I'm looking forward to it. And there are a lot of people out there right, who right. who have mixed feelings about it. Um Right, right. And and then of course they see pictures of it on the news and they go, "When are we going to get ours? Or when are we going to get ours?" It's typically so, <laughs> I got it, yours but, right here, pal. That's what you tell them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but it is it, it's true. It's funny how that always seems to work out. Um, from a standpoint of people, they want to know about it, and then then they 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 want to know the details, and then all of a sudden they don't want to know the details. They go, "Well, I ju- I just wanted to know." And I go, "That that's okay. I'm I'm here to give you you know what you want to know." And then of course with me, it's always a lot more than they bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> you, Rick? Oh, come on! I, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. dude. Yeah. He discusses the crystalline <laughs> I, I, structure of how the snow forms. Well, what's that, Pig? I'm sorry. You're discussing the crystalline structure of how the snow forms. Right, right. Yeah, they, they go. You know, I, I was mentioned this to my students last week because we were talking about winter precipitation, and it was kind of interesting, Mike, because last week we had a couple of days where we had some really, really dense fog, um, and people don't realize this, but at at uh, the big airports, O'Hare and Midway, maybe not so much the regional ones, but maybe a little bit. Uh, if you have a big airplane sitting outside uh, and it has frost on it, you have to de-ice it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even on a sunny day when you have you know low clouds and fog like today, if the temperature is below freezing, you're probably going to have frost in the wings. We were talking about you know frost development and the difference between rain, sleet, and snow. And you know a lot of them think it's just a, you know it just happens, but there's a very very specific part of the atmosphere where it does so. Uh, in regards to your uh, crystalline statement, Peg, we were talking about, you know, the crystalline forms of snow. And when snow does melt, then it goes back to ice pellets. It's not really hail. And, you know, it was always kind of fun to get into that. And then all of a sudden I see their eyes glazing over <laughs> as, they're looking at, 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 as they're looking at the clock because in about 15 minutes um, th- their Thanksgiving break begins. So you, you, you kind of have to soften it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and what did I show this past week was um, – uh, to a bunch of different classes, video of the 67 blizzard and then the 77, 78, and 79 winters in Chicago when, when winter was winter uh, around here. And we've, yeah, we've had some of those in the past, but never to the extent that we had back then. So it's, it's always nice to, um, when I, when I, and, and, I, and I realize that I'm getting older and I go, ask your parents about this. <laughs> they probably remember. And they go, well, my, my dad was born in 70. And I'm like, oh, my God. Then ask your grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Oh, dear. I know. And I know. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, I, I am older. You know, I'm older than most of these kids' parents when it comes down to it. So oh. They have no idea who Mike Belandic is or why he got out of office. Yes. And they, and they yeah, have. And you, yeah. And, and it's true. They don't, they don't, they don't know about the, the, the politics of what happened, you know, when when Richie Daly, the first Daly, died in office in '76, and then it was, you know, the race to get someone in to fill his spot, and then Jane Byrne came in, and then and then her, you know, rise to office due to the fact she said, you know, I'm going to clear the streets, and then when she re- ran again, it was it was Harold Washington and and Rich and Richard M. Daly running, and and Washington won, and then remember Mike, it was it was during his the second term 
Uh, it was right around this time, the, the, his, the first year of his second term is when he died of a heart attack. It was right before Thanksgiving. Um, I remember that our, because our, it was interesting. I was in New York City. I had written a play. It was being performed off-Broadway. I was, uh, uh, was writing it. So I'm, I'm on the Jersey Shore having Thanksgiving mm. dinner, and somebody says, Hey, Harold Washington died, and and I missed a, most of the Council War stuff. I I missed all of that because I was in New York City yeah. at the time. Yeah, I, was it was it the Friday after Thanksgiving? I'm trying to think. I don't know if it was before or after. I think it was, it was right after. I think it was oh. right after. Yeah, I can look it up. Yeah, yeah I was. It was. It was weird, but uh, you know, because uh, I was also out of town when the White Sox won the World <laughs> Series. So I, I, all oh, these brother. things tend to happen when I'm I'm elsewhere. Uh, yeah, so. but but I, I wonder if if these kids are taught that in in civics class because it, it's hard to teach things that were were bad in our government. But council wars was terrible. Um, the election or that that campaign of Byrne and Daly and um, um, Bernie Epton. Ber- oh my God! Well, that that, <laughs> that was later. That was that, yeah, was that was that was. That, but that would no. That, that, that was that was the the Harold Washington one too. Because remember, he was the Republican candidate, and mm-hmm. the slogan right. was "Before it's too late." Before it's too late, I know. I know. And the black was, man gets in. in. Yes. Yeah, I was I was up in um, I was up in Madison uh, going to school, and one of my housemates was from Chicago, and I and I said, "Why why are these why why is your city so so upset about potentially electing an African American?" He goes, "Well, you don't understand Chicago; it's very segregated." And I go, and I and I said, I think my my response was still because I grew up in New York, and New York ge- geographically couldn't be segregated because it was a round city, and you had to go through all these different neighborhoods. Now, granted, you had your your neighborhoods and your neighborhoods, but it wasn't like the city of Chicago where the Eisenhower pretty much separated one side, or I should say, the Dan Ryan yeah. and the Eisenhower separated, you know, literally not so much cities, but but, but cultures and races. And and here I am again getting into this whole thing about why why things were the way they were in seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty three, and again the kids' eyes are gloss are glossing over, and I'm like, okay, you need to go back and talk to your parents about that. And I thought to myself, your grandparents about that because they they didn't know, they didn't really know, and and politics has always played a big a big role, um, particularly from a local standpoint here uh, during the winter time and. Uh, it was interesting that the last blizzard we had, when Lakeshore Drive was shut down, um, that wasn't an issue because Mayor Daley was uh, literally two months from leaving office, and his wife was was terminally ill with cancer. And I and I think it was this kind of like unwritten rule in the press corps. It's like you know what, don't challenge him; he's on his way out. But if he would have been running for re-election, that that would have been that would have been a campaign issue. Um, so with that and blizzard of. 79 with Belanik, you mentioned that earlier, Pig. Politics is always a big a big deal here with the weather. Yeah, and um, it is it is amazing how weather, and they talk about this on the Weather Channel when they're not naming winter storms. Um, right, they right. talk or about hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, hurricanes, I, I guess that's a tradition. I can kind of live with that, but... Uh, you know they've crossed the line, but anyway. But but the point. No, I, I, was, I, I only I only mention that because of Otto crossing into uh, Central America last week, or that that was, or actually on Thursday. That was um, that that doesn't happen too often. A, a Category Two hurricane over southern Nicaragua. That's uh, that's about as that's about as late in the year as it gets. 
Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. And and uh, the, the point I was going to make is they do these uh, shows about how weather changed the world and they change history and they change politics. And and that's something right, that we right. have witnessed several mm-hmm. times in uh, Chicago. Yeah, I, I think they do those shows just to see how many how many uh, letters they can get with the uh, names with the letter W that that goes with weather. You know how weather changes the wild world of the West or something like that. It 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 does it does get silly after a while. Um, <laughs> but you know, real real quickly, you know, they they have a show every Sunday called Weather Geeks, which I love. Um, and again, you? last week they talked about the Goes R, which is going to be the next Goes satellite. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. That was launched successfully, and I already had people ask me when are we going to start to see pictures from it. Um, it takes about two weeks to get that completely synchronized. So in other words, it has to become geosynchronous. Um, and then it'll take at least another six months before they deem all of the uh, products that they get from it, uh, quote, operationally useful. So it's going to be a while before we see that information. Uh, but once we do, it, it's going to be, I, I think, a really fantastic to be able to talk about some of the new information uh, that that we'll be getting from it. So the, the bottom line is, it went uh, up successfully. It's in the process of being synchronized, and hopefully, it'll be able to provide us with stuff that we've never seen before. That's exciting news. It is exciting news, and I'm sure you're going to see the results of it before I do. So sh- oh, yeah. send send oh, me yeah. some Fine. send me something as soon as uh, uh, you you uh, have some. Uh, some information from there. I'm sure it's going to be just uh, revolutionary. Um, I, I, yes. I got a tweet this morning from uh, Annie sure. out in California. She's, she's apologizing, but it's kind of cool information. She says, sorry to have missed uh, the Mike Novak fabulous garden radio show this AM been in the pasture celebrating the rain we have had. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. They, they've had, um, I don't know if you're watching any of the, um, uh, Notre Dame USC game yesterday. They were playing in, in heavy rain. The football season wind. is over, Rick. The football season is over. I know, I know, because Michigan lost yesterday. The football season is uh, over. But, Go Cats! But yeah, yeah. Um, but don't, don't doesn't Michigan end up playing um, Wisconsin for the Big Ten? No, 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 no. That that oh, only if they won. Football season is over. Oh, oh, I'm moving okay, on to, right. to <laughs> I'm moving on to lacrosse at this point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and the Wildcats one, as Peg mentioned, is there in a bowl. But, yeah, California actually got more rain um, than we've actually gotten here uh, in, like, the last month. What? <laughs> so when, when you, oh, my God, yeah, they, they, got almost, they got almost an inch in some areas. And, and so far for the month, we've gotten .65. Um, so they've gotten literally more rain in some areas yesterday than we got in the entire month of November. Have you noticed how, how dry the ground is? Uh, incredibly dry it is but it's hard to notice when it is this uh, chilly because you get frost and then you you yeah. know a little dampness and no nobody's sticking their hand down there to see you know it, what it's no, like half no, an inch no. beneath the surface uh but but it's oh, a really yeah. but it's a really good point so uh, and i will make this for folks listening if you put put in a new tree this year uh get out and water it the ground is not yeah. the oh, ground yeah. is not frozen. It will the roots will absorb the water. It needs the water, mm-hmm. as Rick's saying. Mm-hmm. It's, it hasn't been raining. Uh, if you got stuff out there, you can water. It's not a big deal. Yeah, be, yeah. Between uh, between the um, San Diego area and the Los, uh, Los Angeles area, uh, there were a couple of spots, even in the valleys, that that got well over an inch of rain. Uh, there was some snow in the higher elevations, but uh, this was rain that they needed. This is rain that they typically get this time of the year. So. Yeah, talk, talk about weird climate when we've had a drier um, and nearly more above average temperature-wise pattern than Southern California has had. 
Uh, we'll get ours. Well, it looks like we'll get some rain around here. Probably um, looks more so like t- tomorrow in the afternoon, Mike. We'll probably get into that. Uh, but in 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 in, in the in the preceding hours, though, there's a lot of low clouds and a lot of fog out there. And looking at the way this cloud mass is coming in from the west, the low clouds and fog over us, I, I don't think they're going to lift. So even though the forecast from yesterday looked like it was going to be close to 50 today, uh, we may be stuck in the upper 30s and lower 40s almost all day today due to the fact that the low clouds and fog uh, are kind of holding in tight. Uh, and then when the clouds come over us tonight, it may actually be warmer tonight at 9 or 10 o'clock than it is right now. Uh, so if you want, I can I can segue into the forecast. Is that something you want right now? Well, you know, the the my the thing I'm interested in is I'm caroling tonight at the Morton Arboretum from 5 to 8 p.m. I just want to know what's going on from 5 to 8 p.m. tonight. In Lyle. You know, you know what? It's not, yeah, uh, it, in, in um, uh, probably by that time, you may actually see the warmer, warmest temperatures of the day. So wow. 42, 43, 44 degrees. Yeah, not bad. South wind is about 15 miles an hour. So with the, with the dampness in the air, it may actually feel a little bit uncomfortable. You notice that the air has been very damp. Uh, even though it's been dry, it's been you know, some of the high levels of humidity at times. Um, so probably low 40s today, uh, probably mid to upper 40s, maybe 50 degrees tomorrow uh, as the rain moves through. But kind of like what we saw with the last event, the rain kind of misses us off to the east, uh, and then we can easily be back in the upper 50s and maybe even close to 60 degrees on Tuesday, Wow! which is really quite, I know it's amazing. Finally, the cold air kind of locks in. There's a large area, a trough of cold weather out across the Rocky Mountains and the Plain States. That'll be here on Wednesday. So probably back into the upper 30s on Wednesday. Normal high is right around 43. So near 40 degrees Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The rest of the week looks just kind of in that late November-ish, early December type of pattern. Uh, and then still the next significant area of precipitation appears to be going south of us uh, next Monday and into Tuesday uh, with the next best chance of any rain or snow, uh, at least falling from the sky, not so much covering the ground, uh, but maybe next Wednesday and into Thursday. So our winter pattern is still probably a good, I would say, two and a half weeks from setting up. Everything is still out west. So uh, this is to finish up that conversation I had with that man in the Northbrook Toyota dealership <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> no, probably not really covering the ground until maybe about the 9th or 10th of uh, 10th of December. And I think I did actually go through all these other things before I actually got to what he wanted to know. You had just as long a conversation. You had just as long a conversation as you had with us, right? So the guy was like looking at his watch. He was looking around. Yeah, he said, "I yeah. know, I get out of here." The guy would come back with some news on his car or something like that. But uh, 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 yeah, so. But, yeah, so bottom line, near to above-normal temperatures today, above-normal tomorrow, way above-normal Tuesday, and then basically near normal for the next 10 days with the with the winter weather basically locking in about the middle of the month. And um, as always, things can change, but that's what we see right now. But one thing we do need before we finish up the month of November is a nice soaking rain. And when yeah. I say soaking, I mean a nice 12 hours of about a good inch to inch and a half because the ground is dry and we need some moisture. That would be really good, but uh, it sounds like we're starting to get into ter- yeah. territory where the uh, white Christmas is in doubt. Um, yeah, I don't 
know if I'd go that far. Okay. I don't know if I go that far. All right. But, well, then, um, but, but we got two. You know, we're looking at the middle of the month, as you're saying, close to it before the cold weather locks right, in. Right. If if that, because that could is still a little bit of doubt, right? Right. But but right, right. Yeah, you you make a good point there. But but let me ask you a question. What? Where, where do you think the driest conditions are right now? Across the United States, from what we what we what we call extreme drought to exceptional drought, which which area is, is experiencing uh, the greatest region of drought? This, this 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 I would never imagine on the twenty second of November. Okay, you're going to say the Pacific Northwest? No, God, no. They've had tons of rain. Oh, there. okay. What? Yeah, remember that's the reason why we've had such a warm October and November. Oh, that's right, because the they they were getting pummeled. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Washington up in the British Columbia, the, the the driest area of the United States, and and uh, we'll end on this note. Uh, you don't know. You didn't. I, 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 think, I think. I think. I think. Is it southeast? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. In Western North Carolina, Western South Carolina, almost all of northern half of Georgia, um, Alabama. It, it's unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen that before uh, during this time of the year. It, it's. It's remarkable, even in those areas that had massive flooding uh, due to two tropical storms and also um, Hurricane Matthew, the western areas of those states have not only had drought, but they had wildfires. Oh, my I, goodness. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, you saw some of the yeah. pictures of, of the uh, of the smoke coming from those areas. I've, now, granted, the, the flood was, was contained to the coastal areas, so it's not like you say a state was, was wet. The entire state is wet. You got to be careful about that. Right. But still, it, it shows you some of these areas with climate variability and climate change how you can get such different conditions. And now, not so much regional areas, but but states. You you really can the way these things kind of set up and these patterns set up. Uh, you can have exceptionally dry weather. And remember, um, they had one of their hottest summers ever down there. Uh, incredibly warm, incredibly dry. And if it wasn't for the hurricanes skirting the coast probably the entire state would have been would have been dry so so thank goodness that the hurricanes and the tropical storms did what they had to do which was to bring that tropical moisture northward that is our meteorologist rick DeMaio. yes uh, peggy and i want to give a shout out and a thank you to you rick uh rick has an article about um chicago meteorology and what's in store for this winter in the december issue of natural awakenings oh great yeah, yeah. I, you know what Mike, I, I picked up the last issue, and Peg has a real knack for for weaving, um, you know, living a, a healthy life as well as understanding the atmosphere in a large scale. So, Peg, I, I reverse the congratulations back to you because that last article you wrote uh, was fantastic. Well, thank and, you. And on top of that, Mike, on, on top of that, Mike, it shows that she's listening to what I say every week. <laughs> <laughs> I am paying attention. So there's one of us in the room. Okay. I, I, can, I can always tell by students who write really great homework assignments because lately I've been giving them more of a hand in, like they have to actually write out their answers as opposed to choosing the right answer. I can always tell the ones that are kind of synthesizing everything. So uh, looking forward to seeing that in the uh, in my local Whole Foods thing. Uh, great. Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, Rick DeMaio is now appearing in Natural Awakenings and Peggy, you're a good student, obviously. So, give her. Are you going to give her an A for that one? 
Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. There you go. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> Give her a, a ding as well. Yeah, that, right. that was an easy one for that. <laughs> Rick DeMille, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, we will talk again next week. Have a great week. Okay, sounds good. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, and that wraps it up, ex- except for saying... Real butter. I just... Um, had, you had to say that. I had to throw that. And that's not even Mike Wallace. I, I, I saw the tweet you put about uh, the Fluffle commercial, but the... The, who cares about Fluffle? The point is Mike Wallace yeah. is doing. You have to put his name on the tweet. Well, I was too because because it doesn't doesn't it's out of context. Well, it's, so okay, it's I Facebook, actually, so I can fix it on. Well, Facebook. I fixed it on Facebook okay. already. <laughs> I, I looked at it and went, "No, we got to say it was Mike, Mike Wallace. Wallace." Mike but, Wallace. But, but Mike Wallace is not the one who said, "As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly." Okay, um, he uh, he didn't uh, even. All right, let's get here. He didn't even say... Real butter. Okay, so I just uh, throw, I throw that. All right, I think we're out of here. We're, we're way over time here. So um, I guess the last thing that we play on the list is this. Oh, thank you for the cheat sheet. All right, thanks for everybody on the show today. Michelle Byrne Walsh from... Chicago Land Gardening Magazine and State by State Gardening. Uh, Scott Stewart from the Lurie Garden. Sarah Sorose from Conserve Lake County. Rick DeMaio, of course. Peggy Malecki. And don't forget, the new issue is out, right? Yes, it is. Uh, December issue of Natural Awakenings Magazine. Pick it up. Rick DeMaio is in it with a story. So until next week, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.